First Peter 5 8 warns us, be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. See, we need to watch out for the spiritual dangers that Satan kind of chunks at us and across our paths to avoid falling into the sins that the world, you know, would be able to see that could destroy us. As married couples, be alert to the dangers that could destroy your marriage. As parents, be alert to the dangers that could destroy your children. Countless families, marriages, and lives have been destroyed because of complacency. When a couple lets their guard down and allows sin and selfishness to grow in their marriage, it will eat away at their foundation, and they'll easily crumble when a strong enough storm comes through. The same can happen when parents aren't on alert for the ways that Satan is actively infiltrating their family. As Pastor Mark warns us in today's message, you must always be on guard against our enemy. You need to be actively seeking Jesus on a daily basis and imploring the Holy Spirit to strengthen you in your weakness. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of Nehemiah chapter 7 for today's edition of Come Alive. A lot of times people, you know, the person that has been the betrayer will say, well, they don't trust me. Well, of course they don't. Well, didn't they forgive me? Two different things. They're two different things. It's like pie and cake. Oh yeah, they're sweet. And they're desserts, but they're two different things. Forgiveness means I forgive you for what you've done. Trust is you've got to earn it. You've got to earn it back if you blow it. But be trustworthy. Be faithful. Be firm. See, you always keep your distance for fear if somebody's untrustworthy that they're going to take something that you say or disclose it. Be careful. Don't be that person. They can even distort it with other people. So don't be that one. If you sense that someone is not trustful, you won't trust them and you won't get close to them. Since our God is a faithful and trustworthy God who always speaks truth and keeps his word as we grow in godliness, we also will grow in faithfulness. Now, let me briefly suggest four ways to develop this faithfulness. One, recognize and define the responsibilities that God has given to you. You recognize and define those things, those responsibilities that God has given to you to do. And now, I can tell you this, because I know some of you, one thing he's given you to do is be a husband or a father or a mother and a wife. That's one. Number two, maybe be responsible with your job. Well, you don't know where I work. You don't know what it's like. Be faithful, be trustworthy. He has allowed you to have that. There have been many times where people are like, dude, I hate my job, I hate my job, I hate my job, and then they lose their job. And I'm like, well, praise the Lord. Why would you say that? Well, you hated your job. I think the Lord answered a prayer that you didn't even know you were praying. Well, what am I going to do now? Well, do you wish you could have that job back? Yeah. Well, how bad did you really hate it? I mean, when you really think about it. So, 
As a Christian, you are responsible to obey God's commands to live a morally pure life that honors him. In the Bible, it talks about good slave owners and bad slave owners, and it's talking to the slaves that if you have a bad slave, a bad master, you are still, as a Christian, it's not contingent on how he treats you. You are a Christian. You need to be the best that you could possibly be. And that includes us if you feel maybe you're a slave at work. We are to be the best that we could possibly be. As a husband, as a father, you're responsible to provide the basic needs for your family. As a parent, you're responsible to train your children in God's ways. As a gifted member of Christ's body, you're responsible to serve him in some capacity. See, you cannot be faithful if you are unsure about what you're supposed to be doing. If you're unsure about what you're supposed to be doing, you can't be faithful. Let us not be tossed like a big ship in the waves. Uh, let us be anchored and stable. Number two, start with, uh, start with and don't neglect the small things. The small things. If you're faithful in little things, Luke 16.10 tells us you will be faithful with much. This week, my son, he was asking his mom the other day, he's like, Mom, I would really, I'm 12 years old, and I would really like a phone. And so I was sitting in my office and I heard the conversation because I know what her answer would be. And she goes, a phone? A phone for what? And there was this silent pause. And then he said, well, to call my friends. And she goes, to call your friends? He was like, yeah, I just want to call my friends. And he's gotten real close with his, this baseball team he's played with. And so she said, well, who are, who are your friends? He's like, you know, the guys on the team, I really like them. I really enjoy them. We've gotten to be really close. And I just want to call them and check on them since we all go to different schools. And we're homeschooled and they go to different schools. And so Jess goes, okay, I'll get you a phone. And I was like, what? You know, what? She's going to get him a phone? And she walks into my office. She opens the drawer and there's this old flip phone. She goes, here, here's your phone. And he's like, Seriously? She's like, it makes phone calls to call your friends. Now, he really likes it. He turns his alarm on, but everybody sees it. Today, some, somebody said, wow, that's a dinosaur. Yesterday, some kids said, that's a grandma phone. You know, and he's like, dad, I'm really embarrassed. I'm like, you just needed it for phone calls. But if you're faithful with that phone, then maybe you'll get more. He's thinking Androids, iPhones, you know, maybe is the key word in that sentence. If he's faithful with a little, he will get more. See, in context, the little things, when you really think about that, when Jesus said, or when Paul says that in, in Luke uh, 16, 10, I'm sorry, Jesus says that, refers to managing money, the money God has entrusted to you, managing what God has entrusted to you. Let, let's just call it that. Whatever God has entrusted to you, those little things could be little children. As they grow, they grow into more right? It takes a little more to take care of them. Your job, you always, most of the time, you kind of start at the bottom. Are you faithful with those little things? Are you squandering the time that the Lord has given you? Are you squandering whatever the Lord has given you on selfish pursuits, or do you invest it wisely for God's purposes? Do you pay your bills on time? Are you honest in financial matters? Do you keep your word do you live an orderly life? Do you keep appointments on time? That's my biggest pet peeve is being late. I don't like to be late. Sometimes I am late and it just, oh, it just sets my day wrong. Number three, keep your relational priorities straight. 
Your relationship with Jesus Christ is first. If it goes, everything else goes. Spend time alone with him each day. I've seen this play out more and more over and over where people, they, they, you know, you see a single guy and a single girl and then they get married and then they start to pursue a family and everything else and then the spiritual things fall by the wayside. And then all of a sudden, four or five years into their marriage, they're talking and, I mean, we just unfortunately hung out with some friends that, you know, they had a great, you got two great kids and now they're separated. I asked the question. I had to ask the question. So where are you at in your spiritual walk? That's what they said. We hadn't had one in five or six years. When did all this start going south? About four years ago. Can Can we look back a little bit and maybe think if you guys would just do what you did in the beginning? How did you guys meet at church? You guys go to church together? Yeah, all the time. You guys going to church now? No. Hmm. Relational priorities. First relationship, most important relationship you and I as Christians will ever have is with Jesus Christ. Spend time alone with God every day, alone. Then you can go spend time with your spouse and God, reading to them, praying with them. That's always important too. So your relationship with your family is next. It's second. Some people don't, don't have it that way. They're like, my relationship with my family is number one, and then it's God. Well, God says my first ministry is my family. You don't even have a ministry without Jesus Christ. So number one is Jesus. If I do not order my family relationships properly, I am not qualified to lead in a local church. That's according to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If my family is out of order, and I can't tell you a couple of times, I've had to talk to leaders and say, hey, you know what? If your family is not in order, there is no way you can lead in the local church. Relationships are very important. That John says, it's so important, John says, if I do not love my brother whom I have seen, I cannot love God whom I have not seen. See, the fourth thing is, learn to use your time more effectively. Most unfaithful people complain that they don't have time to do what they are supposed to do. But I think they do. When I complain about this, I have to take an inventory of where I squandered my time. And I can tell you, sometimes it's in front of the television. Sometimes it's just sitting on the couch staring blankly going, I don't want to go do that. I don't want to go do that. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And then something happens where I can't do it. See, we all have the same number of hours each day. Faithful people learn to use their time well. Now, another thing, so that's the, that's kind of in faithful. So another thing, fear God if you're a note taker. Hananiah feared God more than many is what it says. So the fear of God is a matter of degree, right? It's a matter of degree. Some fear God a little, others fear God more. The fear of God grows out of knowledge of God. And when you see who God is and you realize who you are by the way of comparison, you kind of fall on your face in fear, realizing that he could rightly cast you into hell for your many sins. Now, even when you know that he has been gracious to you through Christ, you do not presume on that grace by becoming irreverent towards the Holy One. So you've got to remember that he knows your every single thought and deed. He knows your past. He knows your tomorrows. He knows your next months and next years. And so you need to seek to please God in all that you do if you want your life to count for God. Grow in the fear of God. Another thing is watchfulness. Nehemiah not only built the wall with a sword and a trowel, but he also posted guards and he gave careful instructions and he appointed leaders on the need to guard the city. He trusted God, but he also set up a watch. 
See, a lot of people say, well, I just trust God. Okay, and they throw all caution to the wind. You have to be careful. The two are not in opposition, trusting God and setting up a watch. They're not in opposition. Jesus warns us frequently to be on alert. 1 Peter 5.8 warns us, be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. See, we need to watch out for the spiritual dangers that Satan kind of chunks at us and across our paths to avoid falling into the sins that the world you know, would be able to see that could destroy us. As married couples, be alert to the dangers that could destroy your marriage. As parents, be alert to the dangers that could destroy your children. You know, I know my son hates it when he's on his video game or he's on my tablet and he's watching something and we're kind of like, what are you watching? Stop what you're doing. Let me see what you're doing. My daughter is the same way. Hey, stop what you're doing. Let me see what you're doing. I want to see. God, this is a, you know, and it's like, I don't want them to think I'm, I'm a nag, but I'm a nag. And, and I need to be because I'm concerned about what those little eyes see and what their ears hear. See, as church leaders, we need to be alert to the dangers that could damage God's flock. Uh, Note at the time of uh, success, sometimes it's critical to be on guard. You might have beat something and you're thinking, man, I'm standing strong in this. And you let your guard down in that area and that's where the attack comes. See, the walls were built, the gates were in place, and it would have been easy to kind of kick back and sit down and let down your guard. But the enemy often, what he does, hits right after a victory. Right after you have a great victory, here comes the enemy. Be especially careful then. Also, we need to be especially on guard in our own homes. Nehemiah instructed each one to stand guard in front of his own house. What are you letting into your home? What are you letting in? See, guard what movies and TV shows come into your home. Guard what comes through the home computer. Take caution if your children spend a night at a friend's home. Take caution for that as to what they plan to do and who's supervising that thing. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've heard it like, well, you know, they said so-and-so's parents were going to be home. You know, my kids, when they do that stuff and they're hanging out, I'm checking out. I'm, I'm going over. Are they home? You know, they're young enough to where they are now. But when they get to be teenagers, like, hey, I want to go to so-and-so's house. Okay, cool. I'm going to stop by and check in on you. You better be there. And their parents better be home. And I better not hear they ran out to go get pizza for 10 minutes. Because if I do, you're going to jump in the car in the next five minutes and we're going to go home and I'll get you pizza and we'll have a great time. So who's supervising? Instruct and warn your kids about spiritual dangers and how to call if they need help. Our, our kids, man, they, they know. But the problem is, will they do it? See, to count for God, commit yourself to worship and godly character because these things matter to God. In the Christian life, again, often victory is won and later lost because there was no guard. Guard all areas. An enemy may come in because we're not watching. Walls can be climbed if there's no one there to stop the enemy. But an enemy is easily turned back from a wall if there's a guard. Look at verse 4. Let's get moving. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people, that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return and found written in it 
And he talks about that. So these walls were rebuilt. Nehemiah still wanted to see how he could be a blessing to the people of God and the city of God. And so he noticed that the population was low. And there were many abandoned houses. He's like, okay, we built a wall, but all these houses are abandoned. And then it says, God put into my heart. Notice God put it into his heart. It wasn't that Nehemiah just wanted to do this. God put it in his heart. And so Nehemiah wanted Jerusalem to grow and prosper. But before that could ever happen, he must first know who had already, you know, been there, who put it there first, how it's going to happen. And just as when he toured the broken down walls in chapter two, if you remember, he needed to know the problem very well. And so he took a census. And if you look at the registry, it was first written by Ezra in chapter two of Ezra. You'll see almost the same genealogy. And then verse 6 says, these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his city. And those who came with, and then he's the next few verses, all the way down to verse 73, are names of the people. Now, we're not going to read all those names. We don't have enough time. And for me just to stop here and say we'll go through the names next week would be just, it'd be a sleeper Bible study, I can tell you that. But let me say this, a few things that I want you guys to pull out of these names, this list of names, because genealogies are not boring. And here's why they're not boring. A few things we need to see is this. Number one, people matter to God. People matter to God. You matter to God. Look at all the names in here. Those people matter to God. God obviously, it mattered enough that God said, hey, I want it in my word. I want people to know who these people are for generations to come. Although these names don't mean anything to you and I, they mean something to God. Maybe my name doesn't mean anyone, mean anything to anyone four blocks from here at another church, but it means something to the Lord. See, he knows his people by name. He knows you by name, John 10 says. He knows you by name. Jesus is the good shepherd, and it says that he calls his own sheep by name, and they follow him because they know his voice. But even if I fail to remember your name, maybe I'm bad with names. I'll remember most of your names here. But maybe I fail to remember your name. There's one who will never, ever forget your name. And it's the one who created you in his image. And he put you here and he breathed his breath into your nostrils. And at the time, and put you at this place and at the time and the place for his purpose. See, we need to make sure that Jesus knows you by name. You may be thinking, well, doesn't Jesus know everyone by name? Sure, sure he does. He's omniscient, yes. But in the sense of personal knowledge, no. Because on judgment day, he's going to say to some who cry, Lord, Lord, well, we did many things in your name. And he, Jesus then says in Matthew seven twenty three, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. See, they were not truly his sheep because they did not truly follow him. They did nice things in his name. They bought shoe boxes and gave them to little kids in Mexico, but uh, they really weren't his. They did those things because it made them feel good. See, God gives eternal life to his sheep and they will never ever perish, he says, and no one can snatch them out of his hand. So make sure that you're number one, first and foremost, one of his sheep. The fact that individuals matter to God also means that they should matter to you and I. People should matter to us, not just us to matter to us, 
but people should matter to us. Invest your life building Jesus Christ into people, and I tell you what, your life will always count for eternity. It'll be great. The people in this list returned from Babylon to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own city, but they easily could have stayed in Babylon. Their families could have stayed there. They could have been there for several generations when you think about it. They were established. They were comfortable there. It was not easy to pack up and move across hundreds of miles of hostile territory to a land that had been devastated by war, but they knew that God's promise to their forefather, Abraham, to give him this land, and he had said that at his name he would dwell in his temple in his city to be a glory to the nations. Now, this is an amazing thing when we see this and we understand this because we know that the people of Israel, the Jews, had been dispersed all throughout at the end of the Bible when in Acts, when the temple was sacked, and they went everywhere. But then all of a sudden, 1948 comes back around, and we see that God's promise still holds true. 1948, all the people are brought back into his land. And so think about that, how amazing that is. God was serious. So he had said that his name would dwell in his temple in this city to be a glory to the nation. So they understood and they committed themselves to God's purposes in spite of the hassle and the hardships involved. So in closing, here's what this is all about. God's purpose, first and foremost, is to be glorified among the nations by calling himself a people redeemed by his son. A chosen race is what we are called, a royal priesthood. When you think about that, we are a chosen race. We are no longer whatever race you were born into. We are a new race, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's you. Maybe you have identity problems. Maybe you don't relate well with others. But guess what? We as Christians are a new race, a new race of people. That that should do something for us. We're God's own possession. You may not feel like you belong anywhere, but God says, no, no, you're my possession. My son, I purchased you through the death of my son. And then we proclaim the excellencies of him who has called them out of darkness into marvelous light. That's what First Peter tells us. If you know Christ, he has given you a spiritual gift. He's given you material resources and opportunities to glorify him, and he's also given you the time. See, he wants you to further his purpose, not your purpose. He wants you to count for God, to commit yourself to his purpose for your life, and there's no greater reason to live than to live for God's purpose. That's what you and I are called to do, is to live for his purpose. And we see that Nehemiah did it and that God listed all these names here because he knew each and every one of them by name. Just think of how many people you know by name and how many more people that God knows by name. That's an amazing thought, that you and I are called to be a marvelous light, to shine that spotlight, not on us, but on God. Thanks for tuning in again today to Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been sharing insights and promises found in the book of Nehemiah, reminding you again of God's faithfulness and blessings that are still available to you today. We hope you'll continue to read through Nehemiah and see for yourself how God can touch your life. Is what you heard today about God new to you? Or are you questioning what being a follower of Jesus is all about? If so, today's a great day to begin a relationship that will bless your life and save you from your sins. 
We'd love to tell you more, so please get in contact with us. Here's Tracy to tell you how. Are you ready to meet Jesus and have your sins forgiven? We would be honored to be the ones to tell you about God's Son, who came to earth to pay the price for you and every person on earth. That price is death, but because Jesus died, you have the chance to live. Give us a call so we can tell you more. Our number is 281-391-5503. Thanks, Tracy. We're so excited to know that you're joining our family of faith. We'd love to meet you in person, too. So if you're in the Houston area, come visit us at Calvary Chapel Katy. We'll be able to tell you more and get you directions when you call us. That number again is 281-391-5503. We're so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll tune in again to Come Alive.